What's up and welcome back to Nostalgia Pod, giving you another week of what's going on in pop culture. My name is Pat Sheehan, joined, as always, by my trusty co-host Dave Martin Swagger. Dave, last normal pod of the year. How you feeling? Feeling well, Peter. Feeling well. <laughs> we made uh, it. You know, it's it's nice to be ending the year with some some big stuff, some quality stuff. Um and, and some NASA quality stuff that we'll be talking about actually today as well. Um, but yeah, Spider-Man, the, the headliner for today and uh, a lot to talk Yeesh. about. You know, I'm, I'm sure we're, we're going to go long on that. Um, so if you want to hear all of our thoughts as well as our thoughts on everything else that we've talked about today or throughout the year, hit that subscribe button. If you're watching on YouTube.com slash NostalgiaPod. As well as go to SoundCloud.com slash NostalgiaPod and follow us any way you want to there. And if you're on Spotify, and that's the way that you choose to listen, give us a rating. A uh, new feature on Spotify. And uh, we appreciate all the support. But Dave, we're starting in a very familiar place today, which is Tierra Whack for the third week in a row, dropping uh, a short three-song project. I'm not even sure how to really label it at this point, but... I mean, they're definitely EPs. Okay, so a three-song EP. Uh, The third one, though, yes. She's going R&B on her ass. What did you think? Yeah. Uh, Oh, and by the way, Tierra Whack said to Zane Lowe that this is Whack History Month. Finally, Mm -hmm. like, labeling what she's been doing these past three weeks. Technically, she has another opportunity to release a fourth EP. Maybe it'll be called EDM question mark. I don't know. Um, but yeah, I, I, I thought it was uh, kind of similar to last week, honestly, with pop question mark. Uh, wasn't wowed, but kind of kept the same thoughts I had going that Tear Whack is a multifaceted artist and she can do a lot of different things. And it's cool to see her float on uh, different kinds of production and, and showcase that talent. So, yeah, in a sense, it's more of the same, but it, it, it it's always interesting to, to hear anything from her, as we've been saying. Yeah, uh, I think you hit the nail on the head. I think this sounds great. Um, I really enjoyed the first track, Heaven, a lot. I feel like she, like you said, she really just floats over that and just feels very vibey, you know, kind of going for that R&B, more melodic sound, which I think she she does pretty well in these three songs. You know, so an interesting thing that I found in listening to this, I, I just put it on Spotify, played the three, and it just rolled over into the first track of um, Pop from last week. And it like the, the transition from uh, ha- uh, Sorry to Body of Water was like perfect. Like it, I almost didn't even realize that the song had changed. And that made me feel like, hmm, maybe there's something more connective here in the long run. So you're onto it. I'm, I'm hoping I'm hoping Spotify, you know, uh, fumbled the uh, the surprise there for me. But yeah, I, I, I'm just really enjoying seeing her trying stuff and putting stuff out. We've wanted her to be making music and she's she's given us music. So uh, I'll keep taking it for sure. Yeah. 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 I feel like I don't have a whole lot more to add. It's, uh, yeah. you know, it's nine tracks now. Or, uh, yeah, nine tracks now. Pretty cool. Tierra continues to be good. <sighs> Dave, going into this week, you really wanted to talk about this Roddy Rich project. And I think, of course, uh, Roddy Rich dropping one of the most popular songs of the last couple of years with The Box. And just a, you know, uh, 
rising star in the rap world. Um, just want to say real quick, the box has over 1,380,000,000 spins on Spotify. Yeah. Just insane. Number one the guy for does 11 numbers. weeks in uh, 2020. Big, big track. Which yeah. minted Roddy as a star right away. That was his first album. But yeah, he became a commercial force off that, as you can imagine. Won a Grammy with Racks in the Middle, the Nipsey song. And yeah, just kind of arrived on the scene, you know, December 2019 till now. So it's only been two years, really, since that album came out. And obviously the box went so long in 2020 that it hasn't really been that long for the next, you know, Roddy uh, project. And here we have it with Live Life Fast, album two. Not something I was really uh, anticipating or really thinking about, I guess, because it hadn't been that long. He only announced it a few weeks ago, but here it is. Before we jump into Live Life Fast, going back to please excuse me for being antisocial, just give me your quick uh, TLDR review. Yeah, I'd say it was just a distillation of what Roddy had been doing on those mixtapes, you know, the early hits like Die Young, where he has a real knack for making a melodic hip hop that's really popular and in vogue these days. And obviously something like the box, which just has a really catchy earworm, uh, you know, nature to it stands out. But there were other songs I liked on that too, like, uh, like war baby, his use of background choir really stood out to me. And, you know, some of his slower songs like, um, uh, so, so, for, 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 the, for the names, but there's some of those slower songs also kind of became hits for him, much more like almost R&B in a sense. And you could tell that he had um, more you know, emotional lyrics he could get into. It wasn't like he was just trapping or anything. Uh, high fashion, not something enough for the slower tracks. And um, yeah, just a talented guy. And I thought the album was, was pretty good and, and overall just a good showcase of Roddy's abilities while also obviously catapulting him right away. So now we have Live Life Fast. Um, <laughs> you know, if, if you're listening to this, this is your first time listening or like any sort of critical opinion, you may be coming in thinking, this guy's a star, he's a rising star, he's probably just going to continue building on that. Do you feel like he did that on Live Life Fast? No, I'd say Roddy was thinking outside the box uh, with this one. Emphasis on the eater from the box. Uh, sophomore slump, man. I, I didn't hear too much I liked on this, which is uh, unfortunate just because he has a ability to make a hit, but I didn't, I didn't hear any hits. Yeah. You know, I, I wasn't a, a, a huge fan going in. I'm, I'm going to say I didn't, I don't dislike him actively. I, I just was not. Um, a big listener. I, I think I knew some of the hits, the box uh, high fashion was one that I went back and listened to. I was like, Oh, I remember this one from um, the, please excuse me for being antisocial. Right. Listening through this the first time I was just kind of struck by like, I didn't really find the lyrics on this to be that good, almost like cringy at times. And I didn't, yeah, I didn't feel like anything. Uh, the, the couple times I, jumped around uh, after listening the first time nothing really popped for me and it just i was wondering like what happened here <laughs> like it just feels so confusing it feels like a real step back for him yeah it does and yeah i agree with the lyrics uh, a song like uh, man made set out to me for his lyrics where you know misogynistic lyrics 
are what they are in hip hop. You hear them pretty frequently, but I thought it was pretty dumb how he was going about them on that song. I was just like, this is just kind of nonsense what you're saying here. And, and it is, he's not a mumble rapper. He is rapping. He is putting his words together, but it just doesn't really make any sense, you know? And lyrically towards the end of this, you know, he does nod to, you know, the street life being difficult in Compton, but, and, you know, having like some gangs in and around his life at the time. And like, I just don't think those songs or those beats like did enough to really try and have you latch on to that story. And most of the time he's not actually telling that story at all. It's just kind of, I don't even want to call them party tracks because they're not shit I would bump. They don't like sound that great. It's just like a song like Thailand. It's like, yeah, this is just kind of a big nothing, you know, lyrically for sure. And like, I mean, he's had great success with DJ Mustard, with High Fashion and Ballin as well, two two very different songs. But like, I I didn't love the beat selection on this and like his lyrics, uh, his performance in general, I think just kind of fades into the background. You know, uh, I guess the all good flow he used the flow he used on all good with future i thought that was like his best performance but still like not a song i loved or anything so i I just didn't didn't hear didn't didn't hear any keepers on par with his past past hits and again he's had a lot of hits in a short amount of time but i just don't hear any more right now this this is just just kind of a miss i imagine he wants to follow this up pretty quickly because i saw kind of universal uh dislike for this project online over the weekend yeah, you know, um, you mentioned uh, All Good with, with Future, and while uh, I agree, I think it sounded okay, just tuning into some of the lyrics, uh, going back to what you were saying about, um, I, I forgot which song you were just referring to, I apologize. Um, I I just felt like a lot of it didn't make sense, and a lot of the yeah. like wordplay was just kind of <laughs> childish and not really that advanced. So, um, you know, there, there were a couple of tracks I thought sounded okay but again like i think when you're listening to roddy rich you're not listening for him to be like oh you know that song was solid you're listening for a real banger something that's yeah. gonna sound catchy yeah and i i did, don't think any of these songs sounded super catchy he had a lot of features on this um you know we mentioned future 21 savage kodak black takeoff uh ty dollar sign five yo um gonna uh, doing another song with him. Jamie Foxx shows up on this. Uh, <laughs> any of those that you liked? I thought Takeoff was pretty solid. Um, and, and, and 21 is always memorable. But yeah, I mean, not, nothing nothing wowed me with the features either. I know. I even found 21's verse to be maybe the first one I just like didn't like in a long time. I was like, ah, you know, I just, this yeah. project is not hitting for me. R- really good meme. It was um, a bunch of uh, garbage bags. Uh, black garbage bags together and then a garbage bag with the color gold on top of them and it was like 21's feature on the oh, Roddy no. album <laughs> oh jeez I don't know if I uh, want to call it trash but uh yeah I mean, we've heard some better 21 features lately and we're definitely going to hear better Roddy in the future um you know the it, with it being announced just a few weeks ago maybe this is something he just like wanted to get out it's also not a time of year where people are getting a lot of like attention so maybe he just wanted to like get this out and move on to maybe a label bigger. requirement had had to release that second album by the end of 2021 so he said fuck it who knows yeah so uh we would recommend skipping this one if if you're not a huge roddy fan but if you want to listen uh 
go for it. Well, let's move on to television, though. We uh, we tuned back into Survivor last season for the All Stars, where or I guess it was two years ago now. It feels I said last season. I was like, yeah, last year. No, that was quite a while ago. Obviously yeah. impacted by COVID. But the All Star season was great. We had Tony just running the game, cementing himself as uh, one of the Mount Rushmore players of Survivor ever. Survivor Forty One came back. Mm, not not quite post COVID. We're not quite po- post COVID as the numbers would indicate. But um, you know, during the the pandemic, uh, and in a different structure, there were some changes for this season. And I, I guess I just wanted to ask you first off, like. Did you like the changes in season 41 of Survivor? Do you feel like it worked? I do feel like it worked. The new era, Survivor 41. I liked the season overall. I didn't like every change. I didn't like every twist. I don't think anyone liked everything. But still pretty compelling. I think a big part of that is there was a lot of memorable characters. A lot of good casting done on this. I think there's a lot of people you can easily see popping back up down the line once a all-star season happens again, once they get a few more of these brand new seasons under their belt. A lot of memorable characters here that didn't win. And yeah, so I, I was satisfied with it. You know, I was watching the Ponderosa videos on YouTube as well. I was, was quite uh, quite entertained just because I feel like Core Survivor is still really good and really fun and to think about, to process, to put yourself in the shoes of who you're watching. All that's still great. And I think some of the twists helped that, some of them less so, but overall still still had a good time. Yeah, I, I agree. I think um I think the beginning of the season felt a little too chaotic. There were just a little too many different things going on. You know, they had they introduced the last chance where if you thought you were definitely gonna be voted out instead of uh casting a boat, you roll a die. And oh yeah, like the, the shot in the dark. Yeah, the sh- that, that's what it is, the shot in the dark, thanks. Uh and then you know, they had all these like excursions where people were going and meeting up and there was just like a lot of things, you know, they were kind of giving like people at home hints and Jeff Probst was talking to the camera a couple of times this season. I was like, I don't know if all of that worked for me, but I do like how they started like doing things like splitting up uh, um, tribal, you know, and having like a group of five vote someone off and another group of five, five vote someone else off. I feel like that really shook up things. Um, there was one twist I want to get to. But just overall, I just want to say, I thought the season was great. And the gameplay has, has consistently impressed me. Uh, the players in this season, you know, we, I think we both have gone back and watched some older seasons. The gameplay is just so advanced from where yeah. it used to be. Survivor IQ. Yeah. And uh, it's, it plays out so nicely in the final tribal for this season where, you know, you had, you had people who there was certainly some bad blood or maybe not respecting all the players' games there and, you know, it seems like one player in particular was not liked by a lot of the cast, <laughs> but everybody pretty much just um, acknowledged that the, the gameplay was high. Everybody, even though they didn't like it, like everybody else on the show, um, I think was impressed with how it played out. So I thought that was really nice. So, Dave, I, the twist I want to start with is Erica, who if you're watching this and you don't know who won Erica won, and I hope I didn't spoil it for you. You should not watch the season wrap up, uh, breakdown. <laughs> if, if you don't know yet, no, but Erica, no, no sympathy, right? Erica won last night and her game really flipped on her being sent to exile and choosing to flip the game. You know, uh, she yes. had, she had to break this thing 
And so all the people who had won immunity all of a sudden didn't have immunity. Right. And they were going to vote her out. And now she had immunity with everybody else. And how how did you feel about that? That twist of the game? Because that felt very engineered to me. Yeah, absolutely. And that was our only appearance of an exile island of any kind, which I I don't mind at all. Um, Mm -hmm. You know, I think it's you don't always have to have something like that. But yeah, I mean, how was Jeff talking about that? Like the, the, the most power anyone's ever had in the game or however yep. they were talking about it. And I didn't think it was much of a choice on Erica's part because she was oh. guaranteeing herself immunity with one choice and doing the opposite by not, let alone the fact that she also viewed herself as someone perhaps to be voted out anyway. So it was not much of a choice, but you know, who, who gets voted out? Uh, when this twist happens was Sydney, the last person out pre-merge, who I think also is a pretty memorable pre-merge character, would like to see her come back some, in a future season. Sydney uh, was pretty uh, displeased in real life about this. And I think this came out a little bit on the show, but they didn't really show us too much of the people talking about it. But like, you get immunity, and then you take it back like that. Like they won the immunity challenge. And then Erica gets to do this, 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 this fling to take it away like I, that, that i don't know if it's like a bridge too far like i'm not like offended by it but it, it's definitely like breaking some new ground with that kind of twist yeah and i, th- I think the thing about it was that it didn't necessarily feel like erica did anything to earn the twist necessarily you know mm-hmm. it's, it's not like she oh, won right. a challenge it's she wasn't like she picked f- right that's how it happened yeah, what what it was was they, you know, they had to send somebody and they kept between her and Nasir and they did like rock, paper, scissors and she lost in, no, in their But eyes. Didn't, didn't Danny say that they lied about rock, paper, scissors and they just straight up picked Nasir? Oh, yeah, that, that might have actually been. Yeah, right. I, I don't remember. But um, the, the fact that she didn't do anything necessarily to get it, like even if she had volunteered, she was like, I'm going to go to exile. You all can go and enjoy whatever. I would have been like, okay, she did something to earn this twist or at least earn some sort of reward there. This was just her, you know, being on the bottom and they're like, well, we're going to give the person on the bottom uh, power to totally change this game. And that, that felt a little too engineered to me, I think. Um, And I don't blame Sydney for feeling frustrated by it, but you know, it, it certainly worked out for Erica where she then kind of took this, this flip of the game and really, uh, realigned herself with certain people who were able to protect her. And she, I think, did exactly what a lot of the Survivor uh, winners of late, you know, outside of the All-Star season have really done, which is like, I guess Wendell also was pretty powerful throughout the game. But um, kind of like play this like under the radar type role where she's still running some votes, but just never really seeming like a threat in any sort of sense. But she won two immunity challenges. Uh, Like I said, she was running some votes. And I think Jeff summed it up really well in the uh, post-final vote um, breakdown or or, uh, discussion that they had. This is kind of her MO in real life is that she's, you know, in a position of power in in her uh, profession. But people always underestimate her because of what she looks like, you know, being a a small Asian woman. Um, And she... uh, knew how to be in power but not necessarily at the forefront uh unlike ricard who i think is probably one of the standouts of the season but you know everybody knew he was a target going down the stretch same with shan so when you're when you're a flashy player now 
people recognize it. The, the yeah. game IQ comes back into play. Yeah, it, it's kind of wild, right? As Shan, obviously the star of the first half of the season before she gets taken out. But I was rooting for her to get taken out in that fashion because it was just smart decision-making by the players to just eliminate someone who's in first place at that time. You know, In a sense, you could argue that Deshaun, Liana, Danny, well, Dan, Danny and Deshaun kind of ruined their chance of you know running the game a little bit more by blowing up their alliance early but still i feel like taking out the best players is what you should try and do and it, it it's hard right like the days of an aussie being a challenge beast and getting to mm-hmm. the final like that's just impossible now if you're a challenge beast as soon as you uh don't win a challenge you're gone and that's what made uh ricard not getting voted out a few weeks back so ballsy because it was like wow you know this is the guy who would win right now if the game ended and you're not putting him out and xander's you know talk about the shield and stuff but that that might have been what actually ruined xander's case because he never tried to make that big move and tried to just protect himself all the way through even though he had been on the bottom for so long um but you know it's funny there's so many other twists and, and new things going on with survivor 41 you had the beware advantages where there's a negative aspect to them you had the do or die thing with Deshaun, the with like the the Monty Hall problem, uh, which I, I really did not like at all. I was very happy that Deshaun won the do or die because to just get eliminated straight up by chance without being voted out is pretty stupid to me. Like, why yeah. would you eliminate a vote in any circumstance? I feel like that's just not a better than having a vote, you know? Yeah, that the. The thing I think I really love about the game is that it has all these different aspects, but it really comes down to the social game of how you're voting people out, how you're going about it. And to, yeah, take away a vote by just, uh, you know, like you said, the Monty Hall problem didn't really uh, sit well with me. And I agree. I'm glad that he didn't get voted out because of that. Um, How did you feel about the um, aspect of working together to activate um, immunities and, and rewards, you know, like, Xander, for example, had an immunity through pretty much like the middle half of the game to the end um, because him, Nasir, and Brad, forgetting, Brad um, all had to say a line uh, at, at a yes. reward challenge or a immunity challenge, and then it was activated. And they all did it, but they all defined their own part of the idol and bring it together in that sense. Did you like that? Yeah, kind of cool. I, feel, I, I felt like the phrases were just awfully noticeable, though. I know there's yeah. a lot more then we what we see with the edit and stuff they're at the challenge platform a lot longer before they start it there's more explanation so maybe it doesn't stand out quite as much but the phrases were so out there so like like astroturf how's astroturf coming up <laughs> uh on fiji you know yeah um, <laughs> freeze looking like broccoli yeah um, but but kind of cool i, I like the um, I think the extra vote advantage is is interesting i think the ability to not have a vote while the idol is inactivated is also interesting yeah um i think those those have potential uh for more because there's a lot less chance with them and in the case of like the, the idol yeah i mean there's some chance you're taking a chance that the other tribes find their do their part of this too but i think that's a calculated risk versus just Deshaun picking you know out of a hat to decide if he's even alive anymore you know yeah no i i agree um you know, they, they did try to work in some like viewer aspect. Like I mentioned, Jeff was talking to the camera a lot this season. 
letting you know like, oh, this is going to be hidden here. Let's see if Xander finds it when he sets yeah. out, uh, which was really frustrating. They didn't, he didn't freaking find that. That was very yeah, upsetting tough because to he was looking around too. They, they, they made a point of him like leaning around and yeah. over and stuff. Did you, did you like the viewer aspect of playing along? See, I didn't really, I don't mind it. I don't care about it, but I don't think Jeff like added anything to it because a lot of times he would explain things that we could just determine on our own by watching what's to follow. Mm-hmm. Like there, there was no like clue revealed, you know? So I don't mind breaking the fourth wall, but I just think maybe there needs to be, I don't even know what it would be, honestly, but there needs to be a something else you're communicating that actually would like be seen as a benefit. I think tell, pointing out the, the advantage, not bad. I mean, in the future, in the past, we would just have the camera pointed out for us. It's mm-hmm. kind of the same thing, but if you want to talk it out, I don't care, I guess. Yeah. Um, yeah, I, I didn't mind it. I think the the viewer aspect I liked the most was actually in the finale when they gave the word scramble to the people at home. Like, I actually mm-hmm. paused my my TV to, like, see if I could unscramble it myself and figure oh, out the phrase. Nice. Which I, I thought was fun. I hope they do things like that, like maybe working in ways to like play along with the puzzles or something along that line. I'm not sure. Right. Um, so I, I think there's some possibilities. And I like that they're trying things with it. And it also seems like the 26 day aspects yeah. of it moving along had people really on their feet and just like wanting to make moves quickly, which I think is a, a good change. Maybe not 26 days, maybe like 30 or something like that in the future if you take some of these changes out. But uh, I do think some of the changes really worked. Yeah, I know a lot of old school players aren't a big fan of the 26 days just because it's inherently less surviving. And even if they're not getting the portion of rice automatically each day, it's still just inherently less time. They're there like a week less than a past survivors. And, you know, that's a huge amount of time to not keep losing weight and keep having mental gymnastics going on in your head to motivate yourself to keep playing, you know? So yeah. I understand why they did it. It was really just COVID based because they had to factor in quarantining and stuff for the cast as well as the extensive production crew. Um, on the other hand, you'd think like the constant that CBS has with Fiji now for survivor would be able to accommodate this. Maybe it's a cost thing that they just don't want to be there any longer due to money. I'm not really sure, but I guess it's it's not the worst thing. I, I, I do like seeing the surviving come out in a bit, you know, like like another twist, right? The final five go to a brand new beach with limited supplies. But we don't see them do jack shit at this beach except look for the dancing trees advantage for the final immunity challenge. Like we don't see any of the challenge that is going to this new beach because the show just is really uninterested in showing anything like that at this point yeah no that that, that's a good point and i think i think maybe the survival aspect of it has um you know become less of it and it's a little bit more about the like social uh, manipulation and gameplay but um yeah that that definitely is a twist that or, or a change to the show that i hadn't really thought too much about i think because i i usually am just more fascinated in the, the politics of it all um who are your favorite people from this season i mean if you go by instagram like you mentioned shan is by far the biggest winner of this season she's i don't know how many she had before she's like over one hundred and twenty-two thousand followers on instagram oh, shit, she's gained a huge following ricard's yeah. only at like 
a couple thousand, which I was surprised at because he also seemed like a, a fan favorite, especially in the last couple episodes. But who stood out to you? Who'd you like? I liked Xander just because Xander was on the bottom for so long and watching him continue to survive and make ends meet. A lot of a lot of that's too like helping his alliance as long as he could, you know, using the idol, um, snuffing out Liana's uh, knowledge is power advantage successfully was awesome. So I liked a lot of that, and I was kind of, I was rooting for Xander to win at the end, and and he blew it on his own choices, which we can get into in a second. But I still liked him quite a bit. But I, I think honestly, like everyone in the merge was really likable. Um, yeah. I actually would have loved Nasir to be around a little longer. He was a great character, you know? And uh, Danny, even though Danny's a little um, softer spoken and chill, still pretty cool as well. Like, I, I liked everyone. And Deshaun, I mean, maybe he's not super likable, but he's so erratic that he's great for the game, great for the show. Yeah, I agree. This is probably one of my favorite final eights they've ever had. Um, I was just, or even final 11s, uh, Tiffany maybe being the exception and, and Heather too, I guess. I didn't really like Heather all that yeah. much. I kind of saw them as nothings and, that, and no offense well, to them. I don't know them. as well, Heather's barely on the show for the first like 10 episodes, to be honest. Yeah. What, what do you make of that? Unless there's behind the scene things that have the nothing's been confirmed as far as I know, but Maybe she just wasn't that interesting. If you don't have yeah. good confessionals, they're not going to show them, you know? Also, she was on the winning tribe, so the blue team, they they didn't get a whole lot. Like, even Erica's True. not on a lot of the first half of the show. And honestly, I feel like they should have tried to engineer mo- her being on the show a little bit more, you know, because you have so much Shan fireworks in the first half. I'm sure you could have snuck in a little more Erica just to make her more of a presence, you know? Yeah. I mean, no, think I about it. Remember, like, everyone's like, Oh, Erica, she's shady. You know, you can't trust Erica. It's like, I mean, you you guys have these opinions that we don't Aren't also seen. have because we haven't seen any of this. Yep. You know, <laughs> but it, um, it was a really good cast. Yeah, it was a really good cast. Most diverse cast that they've ever had. And I hope they continue that because I, I, I do think the alliance between Deshaun, Danny, Liana and um, Shan before it broke apart was actually a really interesting aspect and seeing that social aspect of the game of them as black players on the show wanting to band together and have a all black final four before that was kind of ruined. Um, I thought it was really fascinating and I thought it led to one of the best moments of the season when um, Deshaun and Danny, Liana and Shan talked about the, the weight of representing their community on the show. Uh, I thought mm-hmm. that was really well done. Although I will say when Jeff kicked it to Heather to give her opinion i was uh, like ready for something really bad to happen so i'm glad it didn't yes. go that way um going back to the players we liked uh i think ricard is ricard and shan were by far the favorites to me um and i also think that they're the ones that we will definitely see coming back um if if ricard will want to come back which i think he will and mm-hmm. they're i think they were the strongest players xander i really liked a lot also met Xander in person was a bit starstruck. This was like right after the first episode. And I was like, <laughs> I saw him in an airport and I was like, is, uh, were you a survivor? He was actually wearing the survivor. Um, uh, like, was it like cap or buff? Uh, buff? Yeah. yeah. He's asking for it. <laughs> he, he was. And I, and he like definitely wanted me to talk to him, but I was like in such like a rush to get through the airport. And also like, still like starstruck and taken aback by the fact that I was like seeing someone I just watched on TV last night. I did I, like, couldn't even like talk to him. So I feel yeah. bad. Xander, if you're watching this, give us a follow and hit me up on, uh, on Twitter at nostalgia pod. But, uh, 
Yeah, no, I like Sander a lot too. I was rooting for him. I do think he blew it. We'll get yeah, into so, that. So how, how did yeah? How do you how do you blow it? What do you do? Well, so because he he because he, he fucking blew it, dude. Yeah. So <laughs> what it, uh, he like definitely was a very smart player, but he he became a little too cute at the end, which is he was evaluating the the narrative of of people in the final three and what it was going to be, and he felt like if Erica who had made some moves and uh, you know, was uh, on exile, which led him to believe that she was able to make fire and would definitely win a fire challenge. If, if someone was up against her, if she was to win fire that the, she would be a shoe in to win, which she was already next to him. So not just putting it to fire and taking a chance uh, doesn't make any sense, but he actually, I don't think saw her case, which is really interesting because he, yep. he like, like I think the person to bring would have been uh, Heather for sure. Obviously. Heather did nothing, had no power in the game. Heather's an automatic ride. vote for Erica as well. Just do the math of that. At least if that's something. Good point. Um, and so you know, Deshaun showing they showing you that he can't make fire. Erica then showing you that she can't make fire. He could have taken it into his own hands, which I thought he was gonna do, and say, "I'm gonna put myself. I'm gonna give my immunity to." I don't know, Heather or Deshaun, and then take out whoever is up for fire because he definitely would have won last night. Um, that would have been a really ballsy move that I think yeah. could have helped him. That, but that's ballsy. I, I don't know. Did you did you feel like in real time he was fumbling the bag? Or I did. Like, I started thinking he was overthinking it. Yeah. And then when they showed Erica like not being good at fire, I was like, she is sandbagging. Like there's no <laughs> way, you know. Yeah. But yeah, I, I don't think how there you you couldn't take. Heather with you because you, you just have to take the weakest person and it's like no matter what whether you believe it or not like you just take someone next to you who's not going to get votes because I mean you don't want to you don't want like three people up there that could get votes right like that doesn't help you either so just hope that the, the threat loses I don't know the, you, you, it, it's it's out of your hands except for the one piece you can do which is take Heather and he didn't do it yeah I also feel like he didn't necessarily make his case so well in front of the jury true yeah um, Liana stumped the shit out of him with that one question and he like really stuttered on that it's like yeah you gotta, he, you gotta he didn't get a single vote you know yeah which is I don't think is fair that Deshaun got a vote over him I don't think Deshaun played the yeah. game better than Xander necessarily but um you know, I thought Nasir actually was made his best social game uh, case, which I was like, you should not need someone on the jury to be making yeah. the best case. Nasir for didn't vote for him, though. I know. Um, <laughs> but yeah, also Xander in the tribal before the final one uh, seemed to try to, I don't know, call out what he was perceiving from the jury and how he felt like they were seeing things, which I actually mm. think also turned some of them against him. Yeah, it's uh, risky. It is. So I think he got a little bit like, uh, like you said, a little too cute, overthought things, and he'll be back for sure. I mean, he's like what twenty years old, twenty one years old, yes. something like that. So we'll we'll be seeing him again yeah. for sure. But yeah, Survivor forty two is coming out uh, March 9th, twenty twenty two. So you figure forty three is in twenty twenty two, forty four, forty five. So maybe at the end of twenty twenty three, beginning of twenty twenty four, they could do a all star season based off of. Or half and half with some returners, you know, like it, it will only be a few more years before they might start thinking about it, given their history of, you know, doing seasons with returning players. So, yeah, I think, as you said, Ricard, Shan, Xander, I think they're the 
they're the top choices. But again, it was a strong cast, so I wouldn't be surprised to see all co- other kinds of people. Like I mentioned, Sydney. You know, like th- there's a lot of potential here. So, yeah, I could good even job see on the casting like, director. Yeah, I could even see like a second chance thing where someone like um, what was his name? Was it DJ or uh, uh, JD? JD, yeah, yes. backwards. Where JD gets you know brought back, he seemed to be like a really favorite in the season. Yeah. Although I wasn't that big of a fan of his, honestly. Um, but I, I I really liked like the season a lot, especially given that uh, it was made during COVID. I thought it was uh, really interesting uh, the changes and looking forward to how they tweak it and refine it moving forward. So Survivor, if you're not watching, I think you should. And if you watched all the way to the end and you haven't watched, I give you a lot of credit for sticking through this. Station Eleven premiering on HBO this past week, dropping three episodes. We're just going to be talking about the first two. Um, I've seen a lot of talk about Station Eleven being a show that could hit too close to home, given the times that we're Mm. still living in. Shout out, or uh, not shout out to the Omicron uh, variant. But um, (laughs) Uh, something about this show is still really captivating mm. and and fun to watch, I'd say, and interesting to watch, something that you want to sit with. Um, it, obviously, it's, uh, I'm going to say obviously, but people that don't know, it's based off the Emily St. John Mandel um, book of the same name, Station Eleven from 2014, starring Mackenzie Davis, uh, Mesh Patel, a mm. uh, couple other people that you might recognize yeah, it, Garcia Bernal's in there. Yes. Thank you. That's the, the name I was looking for. Um, David, first two episodes under your belt. You enjoying station 11 so far? Yeah, I think station 11 is really great and be thankful that Omicron isn't the, the, uh, the station 11 variant. Cause in, in the world of station 11, like 90% of the population dies from a flu pandemic, obviously very unfortunate timing that, uh, uh, what was it Paramount and HBO Max decided to make a Station Eleven adaptation? This was decided before the pandemic started. They had commenced production before pausing it due to the pandemic. So just a lot of unfortunate timing. However, because you have Patrick Somerville at the helm as showrunner, there's just a lot of tact and craft with the storytelling here. Patrick Somerville, of course leftovers writer goes on to make maniac and made for love on hbo max earlier this year there's a lot of leftovers dna in station 11 in a good way where you have really compelling characters handling really tough difficult pseudo dystopian and not even pseudo dystopian uh circumstances yet it's still really compelling and not like sad you know, we'll ignore leftover season one, two and three, right? Where, yeah, shit's not fun, but the characters are still finding a way to, uh, you know, handle their emotions and move forward. And this is really compelling stuff for me. Um, I think the first episode does a really good job of setting that table with this world basically on like day one of the, uh, the flu taking over. And then what, what the show is going to do through its 10 episode run is jump back and forth non-linear, non-linearly, right? Uh, episode two, I believe 20 years in the future. Mackenzie Davis now playing the adult character. Adult Kirsten, we had met young Kirsten episode one. And I kind of like that framing device of where with this traveling 
symphony performing yeah. Shakespeare. Sure. Yeah. Around uh, the Chicago area to various, you know, pockets of civilization that still exist, keeping art alive and entertaining people with what, 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 what once was, you know, uh, I find it all really compelling. Uh, the first episode um, might be one of the best episodes of TV of the year. Honestly, it's just super compelling. And, <laughs> you know, uh, anytime you get that like dystopian, like, you know, there's uh, something that's bringing civilization to its knees and people have to respond and find shelter and safety and people are responding different ways. It always adds like that tension but they did this with such tact. I think Himesh Patel gives a really great performance in that yeah. first episode as uh, Jeevan, just trying yeah. to uh, like hold it together while the world around him is falling apart. He's one of the few people that knows like kind of what's going on because his sister shared some inside information from the hospital she was working at. Right. And, you know, then he, you have the little girl, little, little Kirsten with her or with him, I should say. Yeah. Um, that he's trying to like protect from all this until he's like, the world's coming to an end. I had to lie to you, but yeah, we're, we're fucked like, basically. And it's just super captivating seeing him go to the grocery store and, you know, the interaction with the cashier there. You should or, go home. Yeah. Or then they, they see that car that crashed and the guy coughing in it. And he's like, don't open your door. You know, like just the whole, the plane of it. Yeah. Oh my God. The plane is an uh, unbelievable ending to that episode. And, you know, it's, it, like you said, it's really captivating stuff. And the jumping back and forth, I, I really love seeing and knowing that one Kirsten makes it through, but also that, um, you know, seeing her grow up to be Mackenzie Davis, who we stand on this pod. And uh, yeah, I think there's a, a mystery element to all of this, you know, jumping around and trying to, I think, make sense of um, like, uh, who is this person that just kind of shows up to the troop and Mackenzie Davis is, you know, concerned about and attempts to murder and then is wheeled away at the end of the second episode. Right. Um, I'm really looking forward to the last seven episodes. Um, I, you know, obviously the first three dropped. We're going to be getting them weekly from here on out. Or actually, no, I think there's two coming out every week. And it's going to be three, two, two, one. So the finale is its own week. So we have another four weeks or so yeah uh early january it drops up considering uh exactly half of the t 10 episodes premiere on december 30th or after i'm considering this a 2022 show for list purposes and that's not just <laughs> because i already made my my top 10 list uh which that episode will be coming out shortly so stay tuned it's first uh, the first episode was directed by hero mirai dave yeah he has which a i few, think few others i believe coming up yeah and he he also um directed the third one which is really good but we're not going to be discussing now you can talk you should talk about the third one third one's supposed to be really good Let yeah uh i was able to watch the third one um and it's it's really just uh amazing to see the the way it jumps around and tells the story of um hold on i'm sorry i'm looking for her name i believe it's philippine bell it's the author of like the station 11 text in the story right which is yeah about um, the like a like an astronaut up up in space on a space station watching the world die. Yeah, and she's uh, her relationship with Gail Garcia Bernal, who right. uh, you know I think you see them quickly in the the premiere for a short period of time, but um, 
how they had a relationship and, uh, you know, kind of rose to fame based on this text. And then the relationship comes raveling apart. And then it shows her on the uh, day of all this happening. And she's, <laughs> she's teamed up with uh, Jonah from uh, Veep, uh, Timothy mm-hmm. Simons. Simons yeah. And uh, they have a, a good rapport back and forth, but they're like, doing this pitch for to this this asian company and um just kind of like the way that they approach the pitch because it's all happening as you know they're aware that the world is falling apart and she's she's grappling with the loss of uh, arthur um the who you see die at the very beginning of the episode who was you know the person that she loved it's just really really captivating and well done and it's this like in one sense it's a bottle episode of this relationship but also, I think just on a, a grander scale, it shows that this story is going to be ambitious and exploring all different aspects of, of this reckoning uh, that society is having. And it's really, really cool stuff. So um, I, I highly recommend this show so far. Um, I, I'm interested to see where it wraps up because yeah. I think there's so much to dig into. You know, like like I said, there looking at all these different people and their relationships and how everybody's handling things yeah, across and, the timeline. Right. And then there's this like mystery of who this person is that Mackenzie Davis is so worried about. And it feels like it could go in a lot of different directions. So definitely something uh, I'm, I'm tuned into. Um, right. you, you're enjoying it a lot though. So oh, yeah. we'll be talking I mean, about it. Like the leftovers, definitely interested to see just uh, cults in uh, post apocalyptic settings. Always good material. <laughs> Always good material um check out station 11 dave i also want to talk about swan song uh new movie on apple plus i was able to get to for today and uh most notably mahershala ali's newest movie who yeah. you know has Must risen see. to fame as one of the if not the premier male actor in hollywood right now yeah. uh this this movie was um directed by Benjamin Cleary, who hasn't made a lot of things, but you might know him from a, a short film called Stutterer. Um, but really, this is his first like feature-length film. And basically, the premise is Mahershala Ali is diagnosed with this terminal illness, um, and he is a, with, working with this company who is uh, providing clones to people that so that when they die the clone will take their place and the family will never know that the person died um it's a pretty interesting plot sometimes it can get a little i don't want to say convoluted but just confusing because you have mahershala ali playing two roles himself uh who is um cameron and then jake who is uh yeah the clone Um, or maybe it's jack i think and the the clone slowly, you know, starts to work his way into being Cameron, and it explores a lot of different themes. I think obvious ones of humanity and what it means to be human, also like the ethics of uh, having this clone take over your life and not telling your your wife and child um, ah. is pretty interesting and something he grapples with. Aquafina plays a um, another person who chose to go through with this and uh is this a comedic aquafina performance or more like the farewell uh i'd say even more serious than the farewell um ah, it's wow. there's there's very little humor in this 
the feel good moments are moments where Herschel Ali and Naomi Harris, who plays his wife um, and their son are all just like having these family moments that are just really like joy filled. And you, there's a real chemistry between Ali and Harris, which is just uh, that I feel like they crackle on screen a lot of the time and you really buy into the relationship, even if where you kind of pick up with them, you're not totally, uh, they're not in the best place in their marriage at this point. Um, but it's, it's really interesting, especially there's this one, one point in the movie. I don't want to spoil it too much for people, but, uh, where Cameron, uh, falls ill and they send in the clone because he's supposed to be with the family at this point and they're trying not to give the secret away and he's still kind of deciding if he wants to go through with it or not and Mahershala Ali's uh, Cameron is like feeling like something is really up and it feels like the movie is like on like an edge where it could go in this direction where it's like this like is this clone actually turning bad type thing or is this about like uh, a person like grappling with their existence their humanity it's really well done um Glenn Close also play as a side role in this, I should say, um, as the the doctor who's running this cloning uh, company. Hmm. She's she's not in it that much. What she is in, uh, obviously, she's pretty good. I think where I didn't totally love the movie at times is, um, I, I think just like this concept, especially if you've seen Black Mirror, is super unsettling and like <laughs> a little bit. Um, I don't know, just uh, hard to sit with the, the thought of in general. Um, but you obviously come for the, the performers and, and they all give really great performances. So it may not be like the most fun movie to watch, but if you appreciate Herschel Ali and Amy Harris and Glenn Close and Aquafina, you're going to go and just be totally struck by this. So uh, I recommend it, especially if you have Apple Plus. It's probably one of the better things that they've put out this year. So this and coda probably are like yeah. the two that really stood out to me from them so and they have the uh the tragedy of Macbeth from joel cohen with denzel and francis mcdormand going up on apple early january too so keeps going but mahershala cool to see him uh, even if the movie's not like a total home run then still a pretty interesting choice for a role because yeah. he always does that he, he makes great choices. If I had to compare this movie to any of his past roles, this really reminds me of uh, the character he played in Moonlight, just the way he plays it. It's very like mm. toned back and flat, but super emotional underneath the, underneath the very surface. Really well done. Um, Dave, let's jump, though, to a movie that you made to that I didn't. Nightmare Alley. The Guillermo del Toro uh, newest film. Is this, the, is this the first one after? No, it's not because he did that like scary movie thing right where it was like huh? wasn't he like executive director for some scary movies this like, is his first movie since the shape of water i thought he was the ep for something maybe i guess like you're thinking of jordan there. peele who was hmm. ep for a lot of stuff i'm gonna look this up i'll get back to you but yeah. tell me about nightmare Alley. yeah so it's his first feature anyway since shape of water which won best picture Dottoro won best director so obviously all eyes on what is Del Toro going to do next. And this is honestly his most straightforward movie uh, to date. There's no supernatural element, nothing occult, no, nothing scary. It's really, really straightforward. It's uh, about Bradley Cooper's character, Stanton Car- Carlisle, kind of a drifter guy who uh, catches on with a traveling carnival 
in the uh, 1930s. And uh, there he meets a lot of characters and continues his life. And, you know, this is an adaptation of a novel from 1946 that had been adapted into a film back in the 40s. So obviously not really a source of anyone knows, but kind of just a straight up adaptation. And uh, Stanton, he becomes a mentalist at the carnival. Uh, you know, there's a, there's a lot of memorable uh, characters, familiar faces he encounters at the carnival. Willem Dafoe kind of runs the show. He picks up the mentalist stuff from uh, a couple, Tony Collette and David Sherheron. Uh, Clifton Collins is there, Ron Perlman. He meets uh, Rooney Mara, who becomes a love interest for him there. And the first like hour or so of the film is Stan kind of coming into his own, understanding how the carnies, you know, do their grift, do their thing in terms of, you know, misleading uh, the public into entertaining them and whatnot. And then the movie kind of flips about halfway through where Bradley Cooper and Rooney Mara run off to uh, Chicago. They run off to civilization, basically, and decide to do like a high-end mentalist show for rich people in the city. And at that point, we encounter Kate Blanchett's character, who's kind of like a psychologist who uh, sees their uh, sees their set. But it's really a Cooper movie. Cooper is in basically every scene, and I think he's pretty good, pretty good in this. Right, uh, kind of having the layers behind his life, behind his backstory, uh, uncovered by Blanchett, and Stan kind of gets sub, uh, subsumed by the griff, by the, the desire to be, be a mentalist and his uh, grasp on his priorities start to shift. And I'd say it's a pretty compelling film, but it's quite long. It's almost two and a half hours long and there's no twist coming. You know, it's just kind of like a neo-noir pseudo-thriller film. But like I said, it's kind of straightforward. So it does feel a bit long, like like you're like it's a whole hour at the carnival, and then it's like an hour plus in Chicago. And I like the characters and all, but it it felt just a little long in the tooth, honestly. And there wasn't quite like a whole lot there at the end. Like it's it, it it's compelling enough, but like there's no like deeper theme or deeper message. I guess it's just more about how like the most evil thing is like what man can do to each other i guess it's kind of like the overarching message here but uh, i I liked it but it's it it was a little long i think it could have used some tweaking again given that it's kind of a straightforward simple story so just real quick the uh movie i was thinking of was scary stories to tell in the dark which he was a writer and producer on but for some reason i just remembered that one from two years ago um you know, in hearing you talk about this, and I did look, the movie is uh, two hours and 30 minute runtime. Um, I mean, it sounds like there's a lot of space for these characters to vamp, you know. Um, you, if you even go down the line of who's in this movie, I mean, Tim Blake Nelson is like yes. buried down here. So there's a lot of performers. Did any, I mean, it sounds like Bradley Cooper stood out. Did anyone else really catch your eye on this? Yeah, Blanchette, uh, even when limited screen time, it just as you can imagine just being dynamite as she is she's uh 
pretty uh, eye-catching. Magnetic, yeah. Yeah. Uh, I'd say at the carnival, the best stuff's probably from Colette, but specifically David Strahan, who kind of teaches Stan the mentalist ways and draws a connection with Stan. He definitely has like the most to give. Uh, Defoe's pretty good, just kind of as a uh, the manager of the carnival and what um, negative traits and mean spiritedness kind of uh, accompanies that, and you know he kind of shows himself to Stanton over time. So I'd say Defoe and Straheron and Blanchett are probably the most memorable. I mean, heck, we even have Holt McElhaney just yeah, kind of being, being himself. Uh, towards the end of the film, nothing, nothing too much for him to do there. Um, Rooney and Kate Blanchett only share a very brief scene, so you don't really get the Carol reunion, even though it's more or less period accurate. Um, yeah, yeah. I mean, at the end of the day, it's it's really a Cooper Cooper film, and everyone else is definitely just a supporting character, just kind of on the periphery. Are you expecting a Cooper nomination here? Nah, I would say no, just because I don't know if this movie's gonna make quite make the impact. Obviously, it had a really poor box office going up against Spider Man, but I mean, like all yeah. adult adult films, uh, the box office has been dismal this fall, with the exception being House of Gucci. So, kind of to be expected, I suppose. But I mean, yeah, best actors are really tight, and yeah, I don't know if this this will be the one. Like, he, like Cooper's good, but I wouldn't say he's like the best he's ever been or anything in this. So, solid film, but nothing. Um, no, nothing too amazing. A uh, bit of a disappointment from Del Toro, you know, coming back and directing. I think we all were hoping to get something a little more, but not to be. Let's keep yeah. moving though to Hand of God on uh, Netflix, um, the Paolo Sorrentino film. Which, you know, if you've been following our podcast you know that we're we're fans of his from the young pope and the new pope uh yeah i i mean this is i think kind of what i was expecting in in a sense from him i mean uh not necessarily like the story but i think the visual style feels very familiar in a lot of ways i think the humor and the way that he tells the story through building the sense of family and community um, of just like these long scenes of people talking and uh, being together. Um, it, I, I was, I really enjoyed the movie. I, I think there's some parts that didn't totally work for me and it feels like maybe not Sorrentino's best stuff, but I, this is still something that's really good. And uh, it was nominated for the golden lion. Uh, it didn't win at Venice, but it, it did win the grand jury prize and a few others. So probably a film that will get some recognition or, or at least be in the conversation as we're moving forward. Did you enjoy hand of God, Dave? I did enjoy, I didn't love the film. I, I think I liked the first half of it more than the second half, but yeah. it has a lot of the stuff you'd expect from him. There's a real sense of style, real clear uh, direction here in 1980s uh, Naples. Um, I'm not super well-versed in his film work. Obviously he, did win the best international uh, film Oscar earlier in the decade uh, for his, you know, home country of Italy, which actually I found out that was the only time an Italian film was even nominated for best international film in the 21st century. That was the only one. 
they have plenty of wins in that category, but not in a long time. Um, and obviously they are, they are hoping to continue that. This, this is the official submission for Italy and we'll get those shortlist soon. I'm sure it's going to be on there. Uh, and yeah, I liked it. I, I think uh, the kind of continuing uh, theme of Diego Maradona kind of dominating yeah. uh, the life here of everyone uh, in Naples, young uh, uh, Fabietto, that this kind of being like what's driving his, his, his motivations as he's, you know, doing other things we associate with a, a coming of age tale. Right. Um, and this is supposed to be like semi autobiographical on Sorrentino's part growing up in the eighties, but uh, yeah, it, it was cool. Um, I, I thought um, the best stuff is definitely everything with the family. I think specifically yeah. the first half when everyone's like together, like that, the big extended family scene when they're all like on like vacation, like down the countryside um, in the water and stuff. And just the way they bust each other's balls and everyone feels really colored in really like finally written. Even if most of those family characters, they're, they're ancillary characters. They don't have a whole lot to do, but they all feel like, like real presence. And I think that's kind of the most memorable stuff. Once the movie starts to, uh, I think progress further along, I think I was just a little less interested in it because it got a little more like, okay, here's the here's the beats to expect from a coming of age story, but I think it's still pretty high level. And uh, yeah, again, like the writing in the first half impressed me with everything with the family. Yeah, I agree. I think that that scene where they're having that that dinner and they're or that like lunch outside and they're all together and you know then the the cousin shows up with the new boyfriend who's like 70 years old and has the the voice thing out for his neck and yes you know everything with that that whole scene is just really really electric and uh i i just love them like busting each other's balls and you you feel like you get like 50 or 60 years of family context all within like a 15 minute scene just right. really really expertly done um I, I agree i think the second half feels a bit more meandering but i think that actually is probably intentional as you know fabietto experiences a, a severe loss i guess we'll spoil if you haven't watched check back with this but when fabietto's parents both die um i think you're supposed to kind of feel this like listlessness and you even kind of see it in some of the dialogue like when he talks to his brother about you know we're we're not rich um what are we gonna like do with the house like how are we going to live moving forward and the brother's like ah, i just don't want to think about that i just want to be ha- i just want to be happy for a little while um you know it, it really kind of shows that he's like this young kid who all of a sudden has to like figure out all this adult stuff and um yeah i mean uh, some of it didn't work like the scene with the baronessa i was like this is uh, a little drawn out and i don't know if it feels totally like necessary to like have like the the detail of it that they do um but i think if you know I, obviously if you know any of sorrentino's work uh, even if you just tuned into like the young pope or the new pope this is kind of the direction he goes in is like these spiritual awakenings and like kind of always like underlying a lot of the interactions is like sexual tension and, and desire um i i really loved like you mentioned before the maradona of it all not only like actually seeing them like watching the hand of God game and like mm-hmm. how they yeah. how the goal of the century as well. Yeah. But um then like having that like play on it where like his parents dying seems to be a real like just freak accident and yeah. him not being there seems to be this real just like lucky 
or like but like chance and uh, not encounter i thought the scene where they speed to the hospital and then uh, fabietto's freak out uh, when he finds out his parents died is really really gut-wrenching and well done i give filippo scotty a lot of credit i thought he was really good but yeah then from there you know when he's kind of with that friend or the, the guy he knows from the game who's also like a smuggler or whatever and yeah cigarette smuggler out. yeah just kind of like feels like it's a bit listless for a while and not as not as enjoyable to be around but mm-hmm. overall i think we both really like it i think we'll be talking about this a bit more towards award season any other thoughts on it I like Tony Servillo as the dad. He's a pretty accomplished Italian actor. I thought, I just, I, I, I liked how Italian it felt, right? Like there's constant references to other Italian filmmakers of the time, Fellini, Zeffirelli, Capuano, who you see at the end of the film. Like they're, they're all like, like present. Like it's supposed to like feel like real life in the eighties. I uh, also felt like Naples. I, I'd been to Naples. Yeah. I was there for a day. Naples is a really, I think, uh, feels like a real place. You know, it's it's not a tourist hotbed. It just felt like a real place where real Italians live. And uh, you get a little bit more of that in like oh, My Brilliant Friend, the HBO series, same kind of thing, like coloring in like a real place. And uh, yeah, I, I think the overall, like the, the, the namesake of the film, tying Maradona with the hand of God goal to the hand of God saving his life not dying from carbon monoxide like it's done in a really good a uh, really good way because of how the film sets up uh the maradona of it all which also makes sense because maradona like completely like subsumed naples when he goes there it was a complete like infatuation with him when he finally or when he you know does that 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 famous transfer so yeah i'd say like overall it's maybe a little like simple like basic plot but it's not really a movie you're watching for the plot in the first place right it's kind of all the other stuff going on yeah for sure i i want to shout out one scene that i thought was really well done um and that's uh when fabiato goes to visit his aunt patrizia in the uh, hospital and you know they're talking and he's kind of confessing that he's had this like longing for her or this like desire for her and the movie makes a point of showing how horny he is for his hand. Yes. <laughs> but then, like, when he says to her, like, I always, like, w- when you told that story about the little monk, I always believed you. And just, like, the way that um, uh, Luisa R- Renieri, who plays Patrizia, just, like, slowly, like, you can see how much that means to her to hear that and feel like someone's not calling her crazy or insane or telling her that, you know, she's wrong or cheating, uh, calling her a whore. It's just, like, such a tender human moment that i thought was really good and then seeing the the payoff of the little monk down the line and when he's traveling um by i think he's by train to uh see his his brother for the vacation i thought was just like a nice touch to it all so definitely um definitely some really great human moments i think that's what uh sorrentino does best just kind of like create these moments that feel very real and authentic so I think this is a movie that people should check out. It's on Netflix, so you have access to it. Let's move on, though, Dave, to something you have to go to the theaters to see. And a lot of people did. Uh, Spider-Man No Way Home, the third in the Home trilogy for Peter Parker, Tom Holland, and Marvel, obviously paired with Sony. And this is the second 
biggest opening of all time behind Endgame. Is that right? Yeah, second biggest domestic opening weekend, two hundred sixty million, ahead of uh, in Avengers: Infinity War, ahead of Star Wars: The Force Awakens. Obviously, count the theaters up, do the inflation math. It's not quite apples to apples with any of this stuff, but yeah, it's the second biggest opening weekend for money and uh, third biggest global uh, worldwide box office as well. Alongside that, I think actually even more interesting, maybe this got the rare A plus cinema score. Spider-Man No Way Home did only the uh, fourth MCU film to do this alongside Avengers 1, Endgame and Black Panther. Uh it makes sense that there is such a response, a reception to this, because again, the trailer was the most watched trailer of all time, right? There just was a really effective amount of hype built up for this Spider-Man film, I think. Obviously, as we know, Spider-Man, the most popular Marvel character, really forever, like it's always been this way. And the MCU has obviously helped helped with this. So more Spider-Man's gonna be successful, but I kind of underrated the uh, nostalgia play of it all with obviously connecting to other past iterations of Sony Spider-Man, which is heavily in the marketing. There's no secret about that. Like all the villains are in the trailer, in the posters, right? And seeing this kind of box office response, uh, Omicron be damned, you know, it uh, definitely speaks to kind of the rare uh, situation. This kind of, this level of blockbuster uh, it was, is, yeah, it. Uh, I have to say, I was pretty blown away by the movie. Um, I thought it was super enjoyable, and uh, for a movie that, similar to Nightmare Alley, is two and a half hours long, didn't feel that long to me. I think there's definitely some some points in the movie that move a little quicker than others. But uh, you mentioned how there's like that nostalgia play, right? And what what we got in the um, trailers was the the villains coming back, you know. Uh, Alfred Molina as Dr. Octavius. Uh, you have Willem Dafoe as Green Goblin. Jimmy Fox as, uh, what's his name? Electro. Electro, yep. And, uh, you know, then a couple others that Rizzi Fons, Lizard, and uh, Thomas Hayden Church, Sandman. One villain from all previous non-MCU Spider-Man movies. And so, you know, and uh, I'm going to say spoilers from this point forward. I think when you see those villains and you also have Spider-Man into the Spider-Verse as a, another entry into all this, the thought is, are we going to get other Spider-Man in this movie? Right. And did we, Dave? We did. We did indeed. Andrew Garfield from the amazing Spider-Man, Tobey Maguire from the Sam Raimi Spider-Mans. Heck, we even got Charlie Cox's Daredevil from Netflix. Yeah. What the fuck? Hell <laughs> And which which actually makes Great. some sense because yeah. of uh, Kingpin on the, the other side of the coin, Kingpin coming into play on uh, Disney mm-hmm. Plus's uh, Hawkeye recently. So th- this this kind of uh, opportunity to do like a multiverse thing with the Spider Man and in a sense put like a, a checkmate down on quote past misgivings, past mistakes. It's kind of a masterstroke that Marvel has uh, been setting up for a little bit, right? The multiverse concept has been probably popularized most importantly by spider-verse as you say i don't know if the mcu necessarily would have gone down this road if spider-verse hadn't been so well received but post spider-verse of course you got marvel what if but probably even more importantly loki 
acknowledging the, the timeline stuff, right? So then when we get to No Way Home, Doctor Strange just kind of like laying out multiverse jargon and it's not a problem for the audience. It's kind of a common concept now, you know? Yeah, and, I, I again, love- it gives all this opportunity. I loved Strange laying out the multiverse stuff because all he basically was like, yeah, you know, it, we don't really know that much. <laughs> That's basically like, oh, and everybody's like, okay. So basically we know like, you can like do stuff to the multiverse, but if it goes wrong, it's bad. Like that's basically what they laid out, and mm. stuff goes wrong with it. Um, we'll, we'll, I think we'll get to the the choice to even like enter the multiverse because I, I want to explore that a little bit and maybe in some critiques. But it was a lot of fun, man. Like I have to say, I think the thing I liked most about this movie was getting these characters back and having them especially obviously Doc Ock and Green Goblin, just come back and be completely revelatory to this uh, Spider-Man world. You know, and I think the choices to um, have them interact with Peter the way that they did, they never, neither one, none of them were all totally bad the whole time. You really got to see them um, interacting with him on a human level a lot of the time, or not a lot of time, but for good chunks of the movie and i think right. that really helped and then once you get all of them together once you get all the spider-men together that's obviously when the movie just completely skyrockets for me i think it's just electric and you get some really fun performances from uh garfield specifically i didn't really love toby Maguire in this but it was still nice to have him back yeah so i i i like both of their performances i think garfield was just being how he's been the past few years which is just a really good actor and yeah I, his Peter Parker performance was always good. You know, just the, the Mark Webb Amazing Spider-Man movies had other misgivings. And Toby, you know, I, I love how he comes in, you know, in plain clothes and they make fun of him for it because it, it, so much of it's so meta, right? Like, but the Tobey Maguire angle in particular, like Tobey Maguire not really acting these days. Yeah. You know, he's most famous recently for being a big part of the Molly's game. <laughs> expose yeah. you know that that's kind of what i think of tom tom mcguire the last 10 years <laughs> to be honest uh and but like all, all the lines all, all the uh comments that those peter parkers make it's just constant meta references to uh what happened with their films both in and out of universe i think it's all really done well because th- i didn't have high that high expectations going and i kind of thought this would be kind of messy and and bungle a little bit I was surprised at how high the execution was for this at the end of the day. Yeah, no, I thought it completely worked. Um, you know, I think some of the storytelling, there's some things you have to kind of just be like, oh, okay, I guess that's just how it is. I think Dr. Strange in this, while Cumberbatch is great as him, it's just like none of his decisions make any sense to me in the movie. Yeah, We'll, we'll get back to this with uh, where the movie leaves us, where the movie leaves Spider-Man. But like... It's kind of annoying that like Peter Parker can't just like be a New York New York Peter Parker. There needs to be Tony Stark or the ghost of Tony Stark or Doctor Strange also like directly interfacing with him in the movies, you know. Uh, but I, actually, I think the most unrealistic thing of all was that uh, MJ, uh, Jacob Battleland, and Ned and uh, Peter were like, "Oh yeah, we'll all go to MIT together." Like. Who the fuck thinks they, yeah. them and all their friends get to go to MIT? That is completely unrealistic. Yeah, I, I agree. Any but... college, you don't all get to go. 
that's not how well, it works. Especially ones that are that stature. Like if you were just going to like, I don't know, like a, a SUNY school, like you might have a better shot of all going together. But they're very competitive too. It's not like it's that's true. to get into state school. So many applications. Um, but so going back to the, like the, the beginning, I, I really like that they pick up right after um, No uh, Far From Home um, when J. Jonah Jameson who's basically yeah. Alex Jones in this world just yes. reveals Peter nice Parker's tweet. identity. Yeah. And uh, you just get right off the rip, Tom Holland and Zendaya just swirling around New York City on spider webs and uh, having a lot of fun right away. And uh, I think it really propels the story forward right from the jump. Um, I think you get some really interesting um, moments between him and uh, Happy and um, Marissa Tomei's uh, uh, married uh, Aunt, Aunt May. Sorry, not yep. Mary Jane. Um, also, nice to see some succession in the beginning with um, Arian Mo. Yet, yes, uh, just yes, yeah, Stewie, just like as the FBI agent who's, uh, <laughs> or maybe a CIA. I can't remember but who's yeah. trying to like, you know, in- incriminate all of them and, and basically put charges on on these people. Uh, I thought the I thought the beginning was really fun. It started off really great. Mm-hmm. I think where, like you mentioned, um, maybe some of the stuff about like why the multiverse uh, gets ripped open doesn't totally make sense to me. But if you can get past that, like leap in logic, and this is a movie where you have multiple of the same people, I think you can forgive that. Then it it really gets right back on track. Yeah, I'd say it, it's a bit of a walk to be like, oh yeah, Doctor Strange, the the former Sorcerer Supreme, really talented man of magic and he fucked up the spell that's how all this happened he fucked up the spell because peter was talking to him too much like what that's really what what caused it that, that me, was a bit that was a bit eyebrow raising to me <laughs> i guess we'll just do it right now for me it's the fact that he even like entertained it in the first place like yeah. dr strange would never ever ever do this like he would be like i'm really sorry or like fuck off but he would not just be like yeah you know what we're, we're bros i'm just gonna do this one huge thing for you it's like no yeah. it's not i i felt like that was just kind of like oh yeah strange at one time after a party did this and now he'll just do it for anybody Didn't right. make any sense especially because he basically like spells out the real world logic he's like you didn't think to call the admissions department right. you just came to me like that should have been the end of it <laughs> Yeah, it should have been the end of it. But anyways, you know, it's a superhero movie. We're going to take some leaps in logic. Um, I I thought the scene where Doc Ock shows up on the, uh, the Bronx. Trailer. Is it the LIE I think they're on or the Bronx River Parkway? One of those two. Uh, yeah, going to JFK, they said, I think. Yeah, um, just I thought that was completely uh, electric. And I, I Doc, uh, Alfred Molina hasn't missed a beat. Um, no, he's so good. Yeah, so I did a full rewatch of the first two Spider-Man films, and I kind of like did the YouTube clip playlist run for the rest. And what really stood out to me was one how well Spider-Man one and two stand up overall, and and part of that is because their villains are awesome, and Molina as Doc Ock is so strong. The writing for him is so great as well, and there's a reason Spider-Man two is long held up as one of if not the greatest superhero film ever even though it's uh you know coming up in 20 years old yeah like molina's so such part of that and i love just seeing more of him i loved how like further on we get some plot beats right restoring the chip that short circuits back in spider-man 2 getting us back to uh like good 
uh, auto. Like you get both sides of the performance. It's it, it's really fun, and like like I like how they MCU'd it in, in that early fight, right, where the nanotechnology takes over his arm. I think it's a really smart, uh, you know, choice to make to like kind of like quote modernize bringing bringing a Sony thing into the MCU. Like it, it just it felt really seamless. Yeah, I completely agree, and uh, I also like that basically the green goblin shows up and they just like cut out and it's like, you know, mm. I think strange pulls them back to his, yes. uh, like uh, underground basement or whatever it is with Octavius in the, the cells. And <laughs> the alligator guy is just there. Like you just found lizard. Him. Yeah. Yeah. The, the lizard guy is just there. Uh, I guess that, that they didn't want to introduce him at all. Um, but I, I liked that too, that that was kind of like the MacGuffin of this all was like, Peter has to go and like find these bad guys and like, put them in these jail cells and then i think making the conflict being oh you know if you send them back the way that they're they're going to uh they're all gonna die you know basically all these right. characters have died and they all don't want to go back to that. they all come to the recollection the ones that do die in the original movies I like how they all come to that point yeah and yeah i guess that that still is like kind of like challenging you have to kind of like buy into the the aunt may message of it all where it's like Peter trying to fix it, the fix all the bad guys from the other universes. It's like, all right, I, I guess, I guess that's your journey. Like, if you say so. That, that, Isn't that another like, thing that's like, it's like it's a bit of a bit, bit of a walk. But I, I, I liked seeing them temporarily be allies in yeah. Happy's apartment. Just seeing them all talk to each other, it's just, just, just good stuff. Yeah, uh, you know, before we, we get to that, I, I did just want to shout out, we get another, like, Mirror World, or, uh, oh, is that what it's called, the Mirror World, from Doctor mm-hmm. Strange, when they're, like, swinging through New York City, it's, like, falling on top of each other, and there's, like, parallels. Or another dimension, I think, is what it is. Yeah. Yeah, it's like, like a, it's in, it's in your head, is what it is. Um, which I, I thought was great. Um, but... I feel like there's a line. I can't remember which movie it is where Peter's like swinging around. He's like, I can fix this. I can fix this. And like, I think that's why the Aunt May thing feels like it would actually work on Peter right. is that yeah. he's the type of person who's inclined to try to fix something rather than just like accept that this is the way the fate is going to go. Yeah. I agree. I think he's also a kid too. Was not yeah. And, and that's the other thing is I think Willem Dafoe in this is just like throwing a, a hundred miles per hour still like the way mm-hmm. he transitions from norman being so sympathetic and confused and wanting to like help him yeah. to like unwell green goblin it's yeah. so impressive and his green goblin is maybe the meanest character yeah. ever R- in these really things. dark dark for sure super dark uh, Hark- the, harkens the... back to the meme yeah yeah they do. Sure. after everything i sacrificed <laughs> you know they, again yeah. n- n- no beat was missed i, I yeah. actually liked what they did with uh jamie fox's electro Amazing Spider-Man 2, probably the second worst Spider-Man film, not a good film. But they did some subtle tweaks to Fox's performance as Electro. And again, it, it felt seamless. It all made sense. I, I like what they did with really everyone. I mean, even like Lizard. Lizard's not really in it too much, right? We don't get much of uh, Dr. Connors there, but it's like just enough, right? He's just used just, just right. And I love the introduction of Sandman when we, when we meet Electro because he comes in as an ally because Sandman ultimately was good you know at the end of spider-man 3 so like every i think the, the probably the the biggest obstacle still with this film is being and there's a lot of a lot of kids grew up on the mcu at this point plenty of them never saw these spider-man films 
They don't know who the fuck these people are. Yeah. And you might not know who the other Spider-Men are either. And yeah, you, you can figure it out. It's not rocket science. But there, there's a bit of homework, I think, to really appreciate a lot of the stuff going on in this film. Because otherwise, it's just a messy, loud blockbuster. Yeah, I, I think it works on... I think it works on a lot of levels. And, uh, you know, it's the type of thing where if you have all the background, you've watched all these movies, you've cared about any of the Spider-Man or the movies before, you get a lot more out of it. But I think if you're still like a 12-year-old, you know, maybe even 15-year-old kid who hasn't totally tuned into the Tobey Maguire ones, you're still like, I get what's happening. This Green Goblin is, you know, a pretty messed up bad guy. This Doc Ock is you know good at heart but has these bad voices in his head like so you can probably still enjoy it but yeah i think there is like another level of enjoyment if you have that nostalgia to the other ones for sure um you know so now we've kind of gotten to the part which i think i was surprised at in the theater but also at the same time the more i thought about made sense where marissa tomei's aunt may is killed in Mm. this huge fight as the the villains all turn on uh tom holland spider-man what, how'd you feel about that scene just in general? Uh, no, no problem for me, I guess, in a sense, something like this had to happen, you know, happens to all Spider-Men, right? And I, I like how uh, when you get all of them talking to each other and how like, oh, you don't have the Avengers. Oh, yeah, my, our uncle yeah. died, you know, like they kind of like go through the cliff notes of like their traits and how they're subtly different and stuff. I guess it makes sense that uh, they wanted a May to be in there. And it's probably just to give the line, the, the, the well, great power comes great responsibility line, right? Like sure. it didn't have to happen by any stretch, but I, I think it, it, it worked, worked fine. It's not, it, it, I saw some people saying like, Aunt May deserve more, but like Aunt May is always going to be Aunt May at the end of the day. I mean, she at least has a lot more lines in the MCU than she did in, in the traditional story traditional origin story you know yeah i i actually was surprised at how emotional this felt to me you know um i i definitely when i first saw the explosion and saw like peter kind of trying to grab the green goblin's grenade or like bat it away um i was like like, are they about to kill on me like i was like no way and then marissa tomei gets up and she seems fine and then all of a sudden she's not fine i was like oh they're they're gonna kill her no and I, I actually felt like it was pretty devastating. And watching Tom Holland, you know, sit with that grief, and especially when Zendaya and uh, Ned, so when Mary, MJ and Ned show up and give him a hug on top of the, the school roof, I thought that was really moving. And um, I was really surprised that I thought how well Tom Holland acted that out. I, I didn't really, from what we've seen in things like Cherry, I wasn't really expecting his acting chops right. to be what I left being impressed by, but I feel I, I, I thought it was pretty good. Uh, did you find it emotional? Did it hit for you? Yeah, I mean, this is definitely the, the most heavy lifting he's had to do from a dramatic standpoint. That much is obvious. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so then, like you mentioned, we, we get the scene. Ned is a sorcerer, uh, unknowing to everybody else, is able to open portals. You, you knew right away that was Andrew Garfield, right? Oh yeah, no, I'm, that 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 was a headcan thing, right? It's like, oh, Andrew Garfield will save Zendaya to redeem himself for losing Gwen. Yeah, oh, I saw that shit coming as soon as it started. I was like, ah, there it is. Yep, there we go. It's happening. Uh, but Garfield, 
really selling it. Once he catches her, once they land, just completely balling out. In a sense, a bit of meta meta commentary on uh, how his career went with Spider Man, how his relationship with Emma Stone went. Perhaps who can say? But uh, yeah, I thought that was a a great moment. And I don't know if you want to get into this now, but one of several like theater moments where people exploded in my theater. Well, no, that I think that was definitely like the well, I, some of the villains showing it, people were excited for in mind. But yeah, that moment when Ned opens up the portal and they say, Peter, Peter, and uh, Andrew Garfield's Spider-Man comes through the portal was the first time, you know, that everybody started to like stand up in my theater and like go wild. And then when Tobey Maguire shows up, you know, a, a few minutes later, mm. I, people were just absolutely losing their shit. And I think we all kind of knew this was coming. But yeah, it was it was raucous. And yeah. Oh, so when when Garfield showed up, someone in my theater screamed Andrew Garfield. Like, <laughs> like I, I didn't even hear what they said. Like, that, that, But that wasn't the first moment. As soon as the movie started, when they were soaring around after uh, Zendaya and Tom, people were loud with that. Uh, God, there's so many moments. And later on, when Toby tells Andrew, uh, you're amazing, people yep. exploded for me with that one. Uh, when Jamie Foxx makes a allusion to Miles Morales, people got mad. Of course, when Daredevil first showed up, oh yeah, that, that, was, that, that was electric. Um, but yeah, and so from from Garfield's entrance, Garfield, so much of Garfield, the Gwen Stacy save redo, like everything with him. Honestly, people people ate it up. Yeah, well, I think he presents as just like super charming in this, and you know, like you mentioned, they all have their different backstories, and his kind of being like. I lost when I got, I was rageful and vengeful. And I just kind of got tied up in doing Spider-Man stuff and never living for me, I think is uh, one that people can really like connect with and find sympathetic. And he obviously feels the most, uh, the, like there's a lot of potential there for maybe a spinoff Andrew Garfield universe Spider-Man again, which is just crazy to think about. I don't know if it would no, happen. No but. chance they're doing that. You don't think so? I think there's a chance. No, no way. I think there's a chance. After the way they, they set this movie up um, at, at the end, I don't think they want to take away from Tom Holland. So I Yeah, no. I think the, the interesting thing is how much does Tom Holland want to keep doing this? You know, there's yeah. a GQ oh, for interview sure. recently where he said he yeah. you know, was pretty burnt out and kind of wants to just go live life and be in other things. Uh, he's 25, said he doesn't want to be doing Spider-Man past 30. Yeah, and importantly, he does not have a current uh, picture deal with Sony. Like he, he he's free. Yeah. So I Feige, hope if they do force him to come back, that he gets basically the Robert Downey Jr. treatment. Give that man fifty million bills with back end, and otherwise he's not doing it again. Because at the end of the day, he is their most valuable actor. He is their most important actor, not even question. But I think they want that. They're going to let Spider-Verse, uh, the, the two sequels, come out. And then they're going to do live-action Miles. I don't think they're, they have any interest in really retreading ground with Andrew Garfield just because I don't think there's much to gain from it. Uh, like, how, how, do you, how do you top how effective No Way Home was by doing that? Like, I, I don't understand. Like, now, maybe that would be a Sony thing. Sony wants to keep going with, you know, they have the Craven movie coming, Mor- Morbius coming out very soon. There'll be a Venom 3 maybe they want to do something and have Andrew Garfield fight the Sinister Six. I don't, I don't know. But like, I don't think Marvel MCU wants to have, have Andrew Garfield. I don't, yeah, really don't think so. Uh, 
I didn't I didn't specify that, but I could see definitely him getting something. Uh, I, I think I could see it maybe being like the Pattinson Batman almost, or uh, yeah, the Robert Pattinson Batman almost, where it's like this like one or two movie thing, especially if, if they do decide to go like a gritty older Spider-Man, like he's talked about this like vengeful side, maybe there's something to explore there. But I, I could see him, I could see rumors at least being out there that he's going to be getting his own movies, especially on the Sony side. I agree. I don't think the Marvel side has any interest. I, I, to be uh, clear, Sony just wants to also have Tom Holland be in their, in their movies. Right. I, this is definitely not their first choice using Garfield for things. Um, so anyways, we, we get to see them all interacting. I think like the scene at the school where they're coming up with the cures for each villain was like a really fun scene. Like you said, they're kind of talking about their backstories. Then when they go to the Statue of Liberty, them all talking, interacting was awesome. When they all land together, that was a huge theater moment for me. People mm. were really like losing their shit <laughs> around that. Um, and then I thought the final fight was, even though it's like, you know, Marvel, big CGI fuck fest type thing. I thought there was like some real moments in there. You know, you kind of get like the, the Green Goblin uh tom holland like is he gonna do do luke being bad luke or luke being good luke type of <laughs> moment so, sort of thing and yeah. toby mcguire getting the like you know dad spider-man like, yeah don't do his son type thing. you saw him getting stabbed in the back coming right like i thought oh. that was the most obvious thing i was like oh you have your back to green goblin that that's not going well <laughs> yeah a hundred percent that was telegraphed uh you get the, the mj saved moment um well i mean what else from that final scene like stood out to you yeah, I guess it's just like seeing the Spider-Man interact, seeing like the, the run up, right? Seeing them kind of trade. Like I mentioned the Garfield uh, Zendaya save. Like other than that, it's just, yeah, it's just kind of kind of them doing their thing, right? Like it's nice to see more Molina because he's good being good. Yep. You know, uh, I guess the ending scene when they're on like, was it the shield or wherever they're standing? It's really just yeah. Goblin and the Spider-Man like, that was pretty cool, I guess. But then at that point, like it's like, oh, the multiverse is closing in. We have to fix this, and it's like it gets kind of like uh, existential dread all over again, you know. Uh, I think those the little moments outside the action is probably where having all the Spider-Men together is at its at its strongest because you just get like witty dialogue and like tons of fan service stuff like that. Oh, that existential dread, the thing that caused the web block for Tobey Maguire Spider-Man. Um, and they, <laughs> they can all relate. Um, yeah, so they they save all the heroes. They're sending them back. And then basically the multiverse is ripping apart and Doctor Strange can't save them or can't stop it from happening and the world's about to be destroyed. So Peter New Parker has to, has to decide, all right, no, I, I want no one to know who I am anymore, which, you know, a big plot hole in this is that Electro never knew who Peter Parker was, that he was Spider-Man, I guess I would say, but somehow he shows up in this. Oh, is that they, right? Yeah. I didn't know that. They, they wanted, he knew who Spider-Man was, but he didn't know Peter Parker was Spider-Man, but ah. he still somehow shows up, whatever. They wanted Jimmy Fox in the movie. That's fine. He's in the movie. He's great. Um, so then uh, Peter sacrifices it and. You know, no one knows who he is now. Mm. He did what he should have originally done, I guess, when he started the spell. Um, you get the big moment at the end, you know, the big goodbye from Peter and Ned, Peter and MJ. And then he goes back to, you know, make them remember and chooses not to because he sees that they're happy. How do you feel about just like how the movie wrapped up in that sense? 
So I actually love this for, for meta reasons. The multiverse is something that when you do it, you can kind of remove all stakes from your storytelling because everything can be undone. Everything can be fixed. Everything can be changed. But by having Peter have to like erase his identity effectively, it gave some stakes to all this multiverse playing. And big picture wise, I think it's a really smart way to do a reset for the Spider-Man films, given Holland's future is uncertain. And the for, you know they want to have future plans. We don't know what those are yet. This sets it up to, I mean, maybe, maybe you do some gritty textbook, comic book, origin-y soup Spider-Man in New York storytelling now no no tony stark no doctor strange kind of why the toby Maguire first two are so great because they're new york movies that make sense you know yep. i love that potential so uh this kind of reset uh i think was was it was another really smart way to and and wrap this all up yeah uh, i i really liked it i'm interested to see where they go with it um at this point but I do like that they're kind of bringing it back to uh, no more Iron Man Spidey suit. This is him, you know, making right. this suit in his uh, one room apartment. Kind of harkens back to like when McGuire and and uh, moves out of uh, uh, Franco's apartment, um, right? Harry Osborn yeah. apartment in the first one. Uh, he's you know he's in that little one. It seems like he's probably gonna have to go get a job, maybe with J. Jonah Jameson you know, taking pictures of Spider-Man to provide mm. to the show or video or something like that. So it's, they're going back to the roots a little bit, which I think is good. And like you said, it kind of leaves a lot of possibilities open. You know, just calling your shot, Holland comes back, right? I think I think they'll get him back. I, I think it's tough because I think it's part of this reset. You don't have to bring back Zendaya now because mm-hmm. I don't think Zendaya wants to keep playing MJ either. MJ, yeah. It's not, not the best role. Um, I was actually kind of thinking like maybe like they take a long time and then eventually like Holland Spider-Man comes back I wouldn't be surprised to see him like if they get this deal maybe he messes around with some Sony stuff first and then he doesn't come back to the MCU for a longer stretch of time and then it's like a like impactful return I'm not sure but he's been in six Marvel movies already it's only been five years yeah it's been a lot crazy so so just to uh, it's kind of all, all out, out in the out on the open, right? It's really a, a clean slate. Just to lay, lay a little background, Feige did say that they are working on the next step in the Spider-Man story for the Marvel Universe. Oh, of course, Amy, yeah. Amy Pascal um, said a, a few weeks back that uh, you know the the next trilogy and, and hinted at, you know said Tom Holland's next Spider-Man yeah. trilogy, but then, then she, she kind of walked back. that back. So he's we not don't really into anything. Yeah, we don't really know where where things are at with this. I think they'll get him back. I do think it will be a few years before we see another Spider-Man movie in the MCU, and it will probably be smaller scale, which would be cool. Um, I think you know the Spider-Man kind of needs to learn how to be uh, a real hero and not just someone that's reliant on the Stark tech all the time. Mm. But um, I, I think he's he's too big to to not just throw the bag at and say come back. And yeah, again, the do the Downey treatment with that. You know, when you have the first credit scene, when Venom goes back a little bit of symbiotes left behind, but I'm very curious to see how that would be tackled because Sony's going to make a Venom 3 because the Venom movies make a lot of money with Tom Hardy. 
MCU doesn't want anything to do with those Venom movies. That's kind of obvious, right? But does Sony want them to do their own Venom while that while Sony's still doing a different Venom? Like I'm 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 quite perplexed at like what the what the plan is for that. Or maybe it's truly just like something they'll just pick up one day down the line and they don't even have to necessarily acknowledge it at all for for a while who knows but i don't think it's as easy as mcu venom coming up soon you know uh, i think they just wanted to get that black suit somewhere in there you know if, if yeah. i had to guess it's a good marketing thing sells a lot of toys oh and i, I guess for the real mcu dark uh, uh heads out there the uh, Night character, Black Knight character that Kit Harrington plays in Eternals. Mm. The the guy he's connected to in the comics is also connected to the symbiotes. He's kind of like like the overlord of the symbiotes back in, in that in that story. And I think this is going to tie into Thor four with the villain for the God Butcher. So maybe it's not as simple as Venom versus Spider Man, but the symbiote perhaps comes to play, comes into play in a more cosmic, comicy sense in the future uh, interesting. So something to think about um then the second you know uh, after credit scene is just a trailer for <laughs> yeah, that's um, new the the new sam raimi dr strange movie yeah, coming um, out in may are how do you feel about the trailer are you excited yeah sure you know it doesn't give too much away which i like you see we get more mordo with uh uh Elijah you for I saw a brief nod of uh, Casilius played by Mads Mikkelsen. Maybe he's coming back again. Who knows? Multiverse, baby. Anything's possible. <laughs> but uh, yeah, I, I'm, I'm looking forward to it because I actually think Doctor Strange 1 is quite underrated as far as, you know, unremarked upon MCU Good. films go. You know, visually, I think it's quite impressive. And I mean, this is basically the sequel to WandaVision as well from a plot perspective. So uh, and Sam Raimi doing a blockbuster again hopefully that uh bears some fruit and it seems like a the a direct bloodline to what if episode four so if you haven't been watching the shows i haven't <laughs> you should go watch that you should go watch episode four of what if just to kind of get yeah. the a little bit more before may but marvel dude it's uh it's a beast it's a, you know the only thing that really brings in money other than fast and furious as well so <laughs> yeah yeah. that's a story for, uh, for a different day <laughs> uh spider-man no way home we liked it uh definitely um i'm looking forward to uh, spider-verse 2 you know the trailer for that has dropped and mm-hmm. that looks good 22 miles morales live action eventually is is my hope so oh, yeah. that, that'll be lock, great I'll lock that in it's yeah. not close but that's happening obviously so- uh good good shit man spider-man is a great superhero we're gonna end it there good way to end the year i'd say dave what what's coming up for us on now next week top 10 television shows of 2021 youtube.com nostalgia pod get that following week january 3rd we're talking about so much shit coming out over the next two weeks the end of insecure the final season the end of Hawkeye on Disney Plus, the start of the Book of Boba Fett on Disney Plus, as well as all these movies: Matrix Four, The Lost Daughter, Don't Look Up, Being the Ricardos, maybe Red Rocket. I might go see Tragedy of Macbeth. Who knows? There's a lot of shit coming out. So stay the fuck tuned. We'll see you in 2022. Peace out. Yeah.